Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service. Featuring Purdue Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Bob Nielsen and Extension Soybean Specialist Dr. Sean Castile. On this very first podcast, they will discuss recovering from not only last year's growing season, but the 2018 season as well. They'll also discuss how to improve your profit margins for 2020 and beyond. That's worth between 20 and 40 bushels by doing a better job of selecting hybrids. And and if you can achieve that, those are essentially 20 to 40 free bushels. The yield swing is at least a 6 to 12 bushel yield swing on the soybeans and probably even upwards occasionally at 14, 15. Now with the Purdue Crop Chat, here's your host, who's your Ag Today's Andy Eubank. Thank you, Gary Truitt. You will soon hear our very first podcast, which was recorded in early March at the Beck Ag Center. But so much has changed since then with the viral pandemic that has ground much of day-to-day life in this country and other countries to a halt. We do want you to hear what Bob and Sean discuss in that first podcast coming up shortly, but know that a follow-up is being put together now to tackle COVID-19 and what implications it presents farmers, agronomists, and related industries. That podcast will be available very soon. Purdue University has many great programs and resources that benefit commercial agriculture in Indiana, but this podcast with these two specialists and guests from time to time will be all agronomy all the time. We started back in early March with Bob Nielsen sharing the vision of what they would like to accomplish with Purdue Crop Chat. Well, Sean and I have talked about doing podcasts for, my gosh, I don't know how many years, um, we've just never, I guess, gotten down to actually doing it, so we appreciate the opportunities to work with Who's Your Ag Today to help bring this to fruition. So I think what we're hoping for is to share timely agronomic information uh, every time that we do one of these and, and maybe give some insights on both of our crops that we work with that will be uh, not just uh, agronomically useful but hopefully profitable. And then as we bring in colleagues from other disciplines to shed even more light uh, on these subjects, um, I think that's uh, part of our goal for this. But, Sean, what what do you say? Yeah, Bob, when I came 10 years ago, I mean, some of the phrases that you would say uh, would be timely and timeless. And and I I hear that coming out with this podcast. It's something you and I have talked about. It is being timely with what the growing season has. But even as we we go through winter months, I mean, there's timeless information that we we need to talk about in year in and year out. And I think this is a great opportunity to do that. And I think also that we we travel so much. Everyone travels so much, and and the the word busy comes to mind. And I think this is a nice way to get good information out and to be driving your truck or, you know, you're at home working in the shop and still get that information that's going to help your farm or help your clients. And, And that's my goal with this. And hopefully we can give you some some places to look on the web to get some of this information and and uh, and just use that as a way to get uh, again this I like that timely and timeless kind of concept and you know so many of the decisions we make every year um, are not necessarily wouldn't be called cutting edge decisions they're, they're they're just the agronomically sound decisions you make every year and frankly for a lot of those it's the timeless information that we use to make those decisions. Yep. Our newest uh, moniker at Hoosier Ag today is timely, relevant, and credible. Timely for sure. We're looking to you for that credibility in this podcast, so please bring it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Bob, make sure you do that. Okay, I'll try. 
So let's get down in the dirt here just a little bit now that we're in the early stages of the month of March and you can pretty much smell planting season right now. Some years maybe we would not have too much to cover. It seems like that is though a thing of the past, but this year, especially coming off 2019, there is interrupted or non-existent fall field work. We need to talk about burn down, residuals, saturated soils, fertility, compaction, insects, and disease. And of course, there are planting dates to talk about. So as you think about these and other issues, what's uppermost in your mind on the soybean side, Sean? Yeah, Andy, as I look at this, I, I have to go back and look the rearview mirror because I, I go back to 2019, but I also go back to 2018, that there's a lot of things that we were trying to get accomplished in the harvest of 2018 that didn't, and then they got... Uh, came over into our spring of 19 and it didn't get accomplished and so a lot of these fields have issues from compactions of two years ago and a little bit of this spring uh, certainly bob i think we did some compaction out in the field we probably even made a few uh oh, no no i didn't do any compaction oh yeah it's just you no no well yeah that's right you don't work so i get that you didn't do anything <laughs> Uh, so as as we look back on this so i i think that we have to look at 2020 as is it an opportunity to, to do any of the correction that we didn't get accomplished in the past couple falls? And so uh, the things that come to my mind are foundations and drainage and, and fertility. And so if we've got the foundation and drainage, so whether it's a tile system or surface drain, that allows us the opportunity to kind of make up for these, these field situations that we weren't able to do the last few years. Uh, soil fertility, I think a lot of people that had their fields set up to have a, a decent amount of phosphorus and potassium and their pH right, they could forego uh, an application last spring, right? And so as we look to 2020, are we one year into this, two years into this? And so what can we do to correct that? I don't know if you have those similar well, situations, Bob. Right, and and I think one of the things you sort of hit on was, you know, the, this year um, we continue to be in such tight financial situations mm -hmm. uh, around much of the state. And so, you know, we're trying to recover from last year's late planting and all the headaches that that brought. But a lot of these folks are also in a, a position where cash flow was extremely tight. And so, you know, we're, yes, we're looking for ways to increase yields cheaply, but we're also, in many cases, looking for ways to reduce costs. So you, you mentioned P&K, and you're exactly right, that that if, if their P&K soil test levels, assuming they have recent uh, sure. soil tests, yeah. but if so, their P&K... So what, what's recent, Bob? Oh, I'd say the last two, three, maybe four years. Okay, I think would four be sufficient. Be, uh, yeah, four is kind of pushing, yeah. but at least get yields in there, sure. But if their P&K soil test levels are well within the adequate levels, mm -hmm. um, uh, we know from experience, we know from data, that applications of P&K at that point do not increase yield. They simply maintain levels. Right. So right. you're right, folks can defer P&K applications for what a couple years maybe sure uh without any yield loss and and but save on that cash flow that year and and so there are things like that that i think we can visit with folks about uh as we continue to do these podcasts but you know ways that they can reduce costs without increase without reducing yield but then on the flip side, I think we both agree that if you can increase yield cheaply, uh, that's going to lower that cost per bushel and, and help bring you back towards the, the profit line also. Yeah, we, ha we have to be careful, Bob, as uh, we've done one, two years of this in a row now, maybe a third as we're talking 2020. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, we can't just keep mining that soil either, so we, we right. need to make sure that 
uh, we don't have this false sense of security that, hey, we did it in 2018, we did it in 2019. Oh, let's let's roll the dice again. Right. You know, you're exactly right. And and your your earlier comment about when was that last sold test is important mm-hmm. because if it was three or four years ago and now we're going to defer it for two or three years and not doing any further soul testing, mm-hmm. yeah, now we're getting into perhaps some unknown territory as to what have we done to soul test levels. You mentioned increase yields cheaply, so some ears might have perked up. Do you have some specific thoughts on that this year in particular? I think both of us would start almost start off with doing a better job of choosing varieties. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, and in particular, we are clearly in a time period with ever increasingly variable weather and not just variable weather one year to another, but extreme weather. And so I think in both crops, the need to, to identify good yielding hybrids that also tolerate a wide range of growing conditions is extremely important. And, and I'm convinced on the corn side, I'll let Sean share the possible yield gains on the soybean, but I'm convinced on the corn side that if you can get better at identifying good yielding hybrids that yield pretty darn good most of the time, meaning that they tolerate a wide range of conditions, that's worth between 20 and 40 bushels by doing a better job of selecting hybrids. And, and if you can achieve that, those are essentially 20 to 40 free bushels. And I'm not an economist, but I think that's a pretty good way to improve the profit line is by getting free bushels by doing better decisions. And, Sean, what about on the soybeans? Yeah, no, I'm riding the same wheelhouse. So, obviously, corn and soybeans yield at different levels. But the yield swing is at least a 6 to 12 bushel yield swing on the soybeans and probably even upwards occasionally at 14, 15. Uh, but that that percentage is exactly the same, and so it's about looking at the the issues, the characteristics of those uh, varieties. So whether you've got white mold territory, or if you got phytophthora, you know those come into play. But just the straight yield potential and yield consistency—that's kind of how I phrase that. A similar thing is that it it can withstand those wet feet, or they can withstand a drier condition and still come out of that and yield well. Here's the rub. Where can these people find the information to make that decision? What do you tell farmers when they ask you, where can I find that kind of information? I tell them to go to the chat and chew, Bob, so then <laughs> you get all the resources that we've got. You know, that that's the thing with this this, this day and age that we've got so many uh, varieties out there, and they do change over fairly often in the soybean world. Uh, where are you getting good, unbiased information? Uh, we do have, you know, some variety testing programs across the Midwest. But, you know, those are getting, truth be told, those are shrinking. Uh, we don't quite have quite as many in those trials anymore. So that's the hard thing that if you say, oh, let's go to the variety testing program for my state, and there's 10 varieties in there of which two you've ever heard of. So it's mm-hmm. a struggle. And so, you know, go to the companies as best you can. Again, you got to take that with a grain of salt. There are some other independents out there and, and start to build that out. I, I think, uh, and I agree, I, I think it's an extremely challenging um, kind of thing to actually do for, that, for the reasons that you spelled out. And, and yet it is such an important decision to be made on both crops, mm-hmm. choosing and identifying these varieties. And so... Um, it's really the top decision. Oh, it is, yeah. yeah. So at least what I tell growers when, when I'm doing my extension programs is, is because of some of the, the shortcomings of the university systems in terms of the numbers, the same is true on the corn side, um, they need to spend a lot of quality time with their own seed dealers that, that they happen to work with and not, and not just in conversation with, okay, Sean, tell me the five hybrids I should be planting, but when you give me those five hybrids, 
I should be asking you to show me the proof or the evidence that mm -hmm. these hybrids tolerate a lot of different kinds of stresses. So I, I think there can be more in-depth conversations between farmers and their seed dealers to try and really tease out, okay, are these hybrids or varieties you want me to buy? Are they truly tolerant of stress? Because, you know, we can't predict this summer's weather, but sure. I think we can confidently say there's going to be something extreme. Mm -hmm. and, and But we can't predict what kind of extreme so I might need a drought-tolerant hybrid this year. I might need a wet-feet hybrid. Mm -hmm. I might need a heat-tolerant one or, or a, a disease one. Or I mean, I don't know what I need. And that means I have to find hybrids that are tolerant to everything as much as I can. You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat with Bob Nielsen and Sean Castile and your host, Andy Eubank. In talking about this to the extent that you have, you are suggesting that there are not enough of these types of conversations from what you can tell? That's a good question, not, not Andy. To and, cast and honestly, right? But... And honestly, I don't know that I can answer that because I, I just don't know for sure. My perception is that uh, uh, that growers accept recommendations from seed dealers simply based on confidence and trust with the dealers. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm I'm saying in this day and age where we are faced with this ever increasingly strange weather that I need to make sure more than ever that the five hybrids you're selling me not only are good yielding, but I need evidence that they will tolerate any possible stress that's going to happen. Um, and, 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 and that kind of conversation, I am not convinced, happens between growers and dealers a lot. And I could be wrong, but that's sort of my perception. Sean, I don't know yeah, what you think. I think that there's a lot that is within the relationship of a farmer and their seed dealer, their crop consultant, and, and rightfully so. There's trust that's been built. And so um, I would hope that that's based on data, right? And so uh, I think that's one thing that these these companies have. I mean, they wouldn't be, shouldn't be bringing varieties and hybrids to the market without data. And so it's a matter of, okay, is it the glossy or can I get to the next level down and talk to the seed dealer? Do you have some data on this? Do you have it in, you know, my kind of fields or you work with some of these? I mean, there's there's networks now, really, you know, you think about that. This is across X number of thousands of acres and how is it performing? There's pluses and minuses to that. But it's about doing your homework about what opportunities can you filter all this through and, and make the best decision. And what Sean's getting at is if we had access to all sorts of variety trial data from, let's say, and I, in corn, I say, if you're in central Indiana, I would look for a variety test data from all the way from central Ohio almost mm -hmm. to central Illinois. I may not go north and south as much, but I would go a pretty wide distance east to west. Mm -hmm. And if I could find, let's say, let's say I could find 100 trials, I would look at the at the results of those 100 trials, and I would try to find hybrids that are always floating near the top, no matter if it's central Ohio, central Indiana, central Illinois. But I want as many variety trials as I can find and then look for those hybrids that are always near the top because when you get that many trials over such a wide region, they probably experienced a pretty broad range of growing conditions. And and that's what the confidence would give me. And so if I can get that from my seed dealer, boy, that's powerful stuff. 
And that's what that's what I tell my growers to do is they need to really be uh, working hard, asking for this information from the dealers, and then using what university data there is out there mm-hmm. to supplement it. But as Sean said, um, I, I think the seed companies have far more data today than than the universities do on variety testing. So it's really the seed dealers and that relationship that's important for choosing these hybrids. Bob, as I hear you go through this lengthy exercise of doing all this homework, they go across a hundred trials and everything else. People don't have the luxury of time like you do, Bob. So, I mean, how how do they get this accomplished? And I think we're, we're making one comment that it's seed dealers and their relationships and the crowd consultant and then look for the data. I dare say that those same people hopefully are doing what you're saying and then providing some explanation to our growers to work through that. Because I think it would be hard-pressed for a grower today to do all of that. Um, and you're exactly right, which is why... What I want in my seed dealer is someone who will do that for me, but show me the evidence, all right? But you're right. I don't have time to do it myself. Um, and but if I can get if my seed dealer can provide me with that evidence, yeah. that's all I'm asking the growers to ask for is show me the show me the beef, all right? Uh, going back, show the me the 80s, money, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but again, this is for both crops. This is such a huge it is decision that frankly we I think more than anything else, people tend to underestimate the importance of it because it seems like an easy decision, but we really need to be spending more time on it than, than we do. Or having a, a little bit more open conversation. Right. Uh, and and going back to Andy's point, you know, is this really happening or not? Are, are the seed dealers or crop consultants helping the grower? And I think they are. I think that relationship, it, it's a mm-hmm. strong relationship, and they're not doing it to to have anything that would help uh, not help the farmer. So mm-hmm. they're looking out for their mm-hmm. best interests. I just... I guess uh, to kind of go across what you're saying, Bob, is to say, show me the whys of this. Not just here's my top three, but maybe why. Right. No, I agree. At the very least, I think you've planted the seed for a farmer to reevaluate, am I spending enough time on this? And uh, consider ways to do that. And it's, for the most part, same money, right? Same investment out front with that variety or hybrid. There's a little bit of a difference there, but um, to have a, a yield increase because of 6 to 12 on the soy and what do you say upwards of 40 bushel on the corn? 20 to 40 I'm convinced on corn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's and and just to sort of maybe add one last comment but you know sometimes when we do our our field scale trials around the state with nitrogen or or populations or something like that sometimes we have split planter trials where we have different hybrids in the trials well it's not uncommon that when it's all said and done and we're looking at the yield effects of say the nitrogen or the populations Actually, the biggest differences are between the two hybrids that mm-hmm. were in the trial mm-hmm. and less so among these other inputs that we're evaluating. And, and so, again, it, 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 it just comes down to such a seriously important decision that, that again, not, not only impacts, well, uh, yeah, it, it primarily impacts yield, but, again, these are essentially free bushels we're talking about. And, and there is simply no better way to improve that profitability than to get free bushels somewhere. I'll make one final point is that if we were to go through all this and uh, say, here's the top top variety, here's the top hybrid, most growers have this appreciation, but I, I think it needs to be stated, we shouldn't be just going at one hybrid and one variety, right? I mean, we've got to spread our risks there, too. And so just it should be an obvious one, but I wanted to just go ahead and say it, too. We are winding down episode number one. It may surprise you to hear that, but it's true. 
<laughs> it doesn't take much to get you two wound up. And it, <laughs> no, I, I, it, I, it I have to say this, though, Andy. I, I've, got, I've got a little concern with the term podcast. I'd really prefer kernel cast or ear cast. Let's think about that. Okay. I like what you're thinking. You've talked about the number one priority going into this season. Shoot me priority number two. It's early March. What's your second most important thing that farmers should be doing or preparing as we get close to planting season? I think weed management program uh, has to be uh, a decision that they're thinking hard on now for a couple of reasons. One, one is all of the prevent plant acres that we had across the state, and we had over 700,000 acres of prevent plant corn. We had, I think, close to 300,000 acres of prevent plant soybeans. And we all saw some of those fields last year that were not controlled for weeds. And the, the amount of weed seed that, that was left in those fields is, is going to be one of those gifts that keep on giving for many mm-hmm. years. So they need to be thinking really hard about what is their weed control program going to be in those fields. And then the second thing is this ever-continuing battle with resistance to herbicides. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we just need to get a handle on, first of all, which weeds do we have in our fields that are resistant? Uh, what are they resistant to? And then making sure that we're making all the right decisions on, on how do we combine a strong residual program with the, maybe the few post products that we have available to deal with some of these resistant weeds. So I, I think in both crops that this whole weed control is, is this ever-increasingly challenging problem. And, and sometimes, Sean, I, I try to look ahead 5, 10, 15 years, and I'm thinking, are we going to have to go back to cold, hard steel uh, in some of these fields, because yeah. this problem is getting so big. Yeah, the, the herbicide iron-out does a pretty good job, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I remember I talked to my crew. We do research as well, and you know we've got some of these fields that weeds are <laughs> popping through, and we need to go walk them. And, Bob, they stared at me. And they I, didn't know what you meant. They had no clue what I meant, and, and that to go walk the beans. And I'm like, pull the weeds. Like, oh, oh. Well, yeah, we, we need to do a, a, a good job of having that plan of, of attack. And as we look ahead in the 2020 season and think about, you know, some of the new traits that are coming now on the market on the soybean side, there's a lot of options and there's a lot more opportunity for confusion. Mm-hmm. And so it's mm-hmm. not only, you know, what happened last year in 2019, these fields that went went to seed, um, they were then maybe diesel was put down to burn them down, who knows, and some cold steel, but there's still seed that was built. So that control wasn't there. Uh, and then also, as you look to have the, the plan of attack, you've got these traits. We need to have the plans with your neighbors, mm-hmm. with your co-op, and what your program's going to be, and weather's going to hit. And so did you change from a GTLL to an E3? Uh, so there's got to have that communication up front and fast no i agree i agree completely that's going to wrap it up for podcast episode number one it went quickly there's much more to talk about and we will come back with another episode very soon thank you for hosting us it was a pleasure and i do like the name podcast (laughs) (laughs) we have a major battle brewing folks so that's it for purdue crop chat episode one and again we are actively preparing our next chat so we can post that as soon as possible since it will tackle covid19 and what implications that presents farmers and agronomists Definitely don't want to miss the thoughts of Dr. Bob and Dr. Sean on that. Keep watching for it, and thank you for listening to Episode 1. 
This has been Purdue Crop Chat with Purdue Extension's Dr. Bob Nielsen and Dr. Sean Castile. This episode was moderated by Hoosier Eye Today's Andy Eubank and produced by Eric Pfeiffer. I'm Gary Truitt for Purdue Crop Chat, a service of Purdue University Extension and Hoosier Ag Today. Timely, relevant, credible.